In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today we learn about God and the government. And I know that this is like opening a can of worms because we all have our own political ideas and we may be emotional about them. So I'm fully aware that this sermon will confront you in one way or another, uh, that it may contradict what you hold uh, true and dear. Uh, But I'm not going to preach anyone's opinion, uh, only God's word in the matter. So if, if what you hear then contradicts what you believe, then repent uh, and search the scriptures and hold to God's word more than your own. Now, there are two things that churches tend to do with God and politics. <clears throat> and the first is that they conflate the two so that they say God's main work is through the government. Uh, And some pastors will tell you exactly who to vote for, things like this. And they'll use their pulpit as a way to endorse a candidate or something. Uh, Just a footnote here. I'm not saying that a specific pastor can't have a specific stance uh, or political stance. He's free to make up his mind just like every Christian is. But what he can't do is use the pulpit for that. The pulpit is not built for that. It is built for the preaching of Christ and him crucified. Uh, But that's the one thing. Now, on the other hand, the second thing that people will do, uh, that churches will do, is they'll just avoid the topic altogether. Uh, So they'll never speak about government at all or politics in one way or the other. They'll never condemn stances or legislature that opposes God's word or forces people to sin. Instead, uh, what what they'll do is they'll acquiesce. Uh, They won't speak against abortion or homosexuality or moral issues Uh, just to not offend anybody. Uh, So they'll put it under the umbrella of politics and then just not uh, talk about it at all. And so my job today is to do neither of these things, uh, but to walk on the fine line between these two sides, between conflation and between avoidance. And the best way to do this is to hold to the words of Christ himself. Now, uh, Matthew 22, the gospel lesson tells you this, that the Pharisees went and they, they plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, this is quite comical because uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians don't get along. They're opposed to one another. Uh, and... and However, what they do is they put their differences aside and they team up to try and take Jesus down here. So they come up with the most loaded question imaginable in those days. And the question is this, and they try, you can tell the sarcasm uh, coming out of their mouths in this part. Uh, They say, teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you don't care about anyone's opinion for you're not swayed by appearances. Uh, The Greek literally there says, you don't look at anyone's faces. You don't wait to see their reaction to talk or what they're going to say. You don't anticipate. And then it says, tell us then, Jesus, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Lawful here uh, is, is uh, is coming from the commandments. They're asking, is paying taxes to Caesar sinful? That is the question. And this question is explosive. Uh, On the one hand, if Jesus says, yes, it is sinful to to pay taxes to Caesar, 
then he would make himself guilty of sedition against the government. And his words would cause riots and people to rebel against the government. And then Caesar and the Herodians would have a reason to put Jesus to death for insurrection. That's on the one hand, if he says yes. Now, on the other hand, if he says, no, it is not sinful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he would be saying that they ought to honor Caesar, a man who set himself up as God. He called himself God and he made people worship him. And if that's the case, then how in the world could any genuine Christian pay him tribute if he's blaspheming in such a way? Caesar opposes God and his people. So wouldn't it be wrong to pay taxes to somebody like this? So if Jesus says this, then the Pharisees would put Jesus to death for, uh, for blaspheming because he would say that Caesar is God, which is blasphemous. So this is the position they put him in. The Herodians are on one side saying, look, just get along with Rome. Do whatever Rome says. Just do what Caesar says. Cooperate. And then the Pharisees are on the other side saying, Rome is our enemy. We need to storm Caesar's palace. We need to take back our freedom. And they're both trying to trap Jesus. They put him in the middle and they say, Jesus, whose side are you on? Are you on Caesar's side or are you on, are you on Caesar's side, the immoral pagan ruler? Or do you oppose him? What kind of Messiah are you going to be? Will you join Caesar or will you take him out? Uh, Do you see how incendiary this question is? It's as if there's no right answer here. They throw Jesus right into the middle of this. And if he says yes, or if he says no, or if he keeps his mouth shut, it's a problem. This is a loaded question with damning consequences. And yet, look at how Jesus responds. He says this. He says, uh, the scripture says, but Jesus, aware of their malice, meaning they they weren't really seeking an answer. They already had their minds made up. But aware of their malice, they said, Jesus said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and they went away. Now, this is amazing. This is just this is just absolutely remarkable. This is uh, in the last weeks of Jesus life. They're trying to trap him and, and foil everything. They come to Jesus with the most contentious, controversial, and hazardous question, and then Jesus diffuses it in a sentence. And he's able to put both sides back in their place with one sentence. On the one hand, he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He says, the money has Caesar's face and name on it. He made it. Give it back to him. If he loves it so much, give it back to him. That's what the word render means. It means to give back or return it. And so even though Caesar is blasphemous and evil, Jesus says, give him what is his. On the other hand, Jesus says, render unto God the things that are God's. And what does that mean? What do we give God that is his? What is the thing that has the image and likeness of God? Genesis 1 says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That is you. What belongs to God is you. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your conscience, your strength. Uh, you belong completely to God. So render yourself to God. In one brief sentence, Jesus is saying, pay your taxes to Caesar, but remember Caesar is not God. Only God is God and you belong to him and you don't belong to Caesar. Jesus here is drawing a very, very sharp, firm line between the two. And I'm going to address both of these things. And so first I'm going to address what he says about Caesar. uh, That is the government. Uh, Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Uh, Here in the States, we're taught that the government derives its power to govern from the consent of the governed, from the people. In other words, the people have the right to choose their own government. However, I want to be very, very clear here. God's word never teaches us what kind of government should be established among us. He doesn't. Uh, God never tells us how to rule ourselves. He just says, I will rule you no matter how you rule yourselves, no matter who is in charge, I am still in charge. That's what he's saying. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, 21 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Some of these kings that he sets up rule with an iron fist, others with an open hand. Whatever the case may be, God is still working through it, believe it or not. So whether the government is a monarchy or an oligarchy or democracy, a republic, aristocracy, whether you pay high taxes, low taxes, or decide as a nation to not collect taxes, whatever it may be, God has not prescribed us what to do in this realm. In that way, because of that, we don't, the government is not run on theology. It is run by reason, is run by intellect. So whichever government you have is the one that God established. And it remains true, no matter how good or bad that government may be. Uh, Now, I know what you're thinking, because this was my thoughts in reading this, uh, But what if the government is really evil? (laughs) What if they're awful and just incompetent and bad? Um, I would hate to break it to you, but there is not one government or political philosophy that is not evil and does not fall short in some way. None. Uh, It is sinners ruling sinners. What do you think is going to happen? It is not going to end well. So, so then you say, well, do I still have to pay taxes if, it's, if, if the government is evil? And Jesus' words cut through this and still stand, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. The answer is yes. That's what he says. He says, yes. Yes, you still pay the taxes to whom taxes are owed. Uh, to, to whom taxes are owed. <clears throat> I know uh, you don't want me to say that. I don't want to say it. But uh, we don't like to hear it. But Jesus said it. That's what he says. Caesar was evil, and Jesus paid taxes to Caesar. Nero was evil, 
And Paul urged Christians to pay taxes to Nero. If you only submit to good and perfect governments, then which government is ever good enough? If you only pay taxes to the good ones, which one is that? But pay them. Do your duty. Let God sort out the malice and all of the evil. Pay your taxes. Obey the law. Some taxes are unfair. Some laws are stupid and frustrating. But give Caesar what is his. By the way, uh, don't ever think that one system of government will solve our problems. It's just not going to happen. The right government or candidates or even legislation is not going to bring peace. Uh, the best we can do is pick the lesser of two evils. The, the height of man's wisdom is to get the less of two evils. Um, okay, uh, Christians, I, I want to move on here to a quote from Luther. Uh, Christians are no strangers to corrupt government. We've all seen this before. And in fact, Martin Luther was under a corrupt government too. And listen to what he said. He says this. So since the beginning of the world, it has been true and remains true that spiritual and temporal authority are more often given to Pilate's and Herod's and, uh, and Caiaphas's than to godly men such as Peter, Paul, and others. There are always more evil men than godly ones in the government as in all other estates. Moreover, it cannot be supposed or hoped that we shall ever inherit a purely pious government. Indeed, if a good uh, uh, regime uh, or government or blessed use of power is to be had at all, it must come as pure grace or through special prayer and merit. For God punishes evil subjects with evil rulers, as he says in Isaiah 3. Uh, In Isaiah 3, he says, I will make boys their princes and childish people shall rule over them. And I will take from them every mighty, brave, wise and able man. Since to have incapable or evil rulers is God's punishment, and there are so many among us who deserve such punishment, we should not be surprised when the government behaves tyrannically towards us and misuses its power over us. Indeed, we should wonder and thank God when the government is not tyrannical and does no injustice. In other words, don't be surprised at evil governments. Don't be surprised. Be surprised if there's any good or any peace. A bad government is the one we deserve, but a good government is the one we don't. It is one from God's grace alone. Okay, Uh, that is it about Caesar. Now, uh, the other side of what Jesus said, render unto God what is God's. Jesus said, give Caesar what's his, that is money. But... You give them nothing else. Don't render unto Caesar what is God's. Don't put your trust in Caesar or his power or his tactics or techniques or legislature or candidates or taxes. Your heart, your worship, your fear, your love, and your trust is in God above all things. And this means that there is a line that Caesar may not cross. That is what Jesus is drawing in the sand now. And the line is not established by the government. It's not established by the Constitution. Regardless of what it says, it is established by God when he says this. God Almighty has drawn this line. Uh, This, uh, this, uh, for example, is one reason why we don't have the American flag 
or any flag in the chancel. Uh, This is not Caesar's place. This is God's. This belongs to him. And there's a line he cannot cross. In, In our day and age, we've seen Caesar cross this line, or at least attempt to. Um, In parts of our country, the government told Christians that they can't have church. They can't gather for worship. Uh, They told them that they had to change their practices in the church. That they couldn't share uh, the peace and greet one another. Uh, That they couldn't receive the blood of Christ from the chalice, from the cup. And that they couldn't even sing out loud in church. That's what it said. That's what Caesar said. Uh, Unfortunately, many caved to this pressure, but there were some who didn't. And that is because there's a line here that Caesar may not cross. We don't ask Caesar permission to be a Christian. We don't ask his permission to go to church. We don't ask his permission to take communion or to visit the suffering or to speak and teach and pray and to sing hymns to God. We don't ask Caesar's permission Uh, to say that a man is a man or a woman is a woman, that abortion is evil, that homosexuality is an abomination, that transgenderism is cruel and inhumane. In fact, if Caesar tells us that doing what Christians do, that talking how they talk, thinking how they think, that being Christian is illegal, then we defy. We don't comply. We disobey. I'm not just saying this because I'm just trying to be a rebel. Uh, This is the example of the holy apostles. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were preaching and teaching about Jesus in the temple, and they brought them before the council, and they said, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And what does Peter say? We must obey God rather than men. And then later in the text, the authorities flogged them. They beat them. They charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, the scripture says, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the the Christ is Jesus. They disobeyed. Even more, every single martyr who has died has died because he obeyed God rather than men. They rendered to God what is God's, even if it cost them their life. St. Augustine even preached this in one of his sermons. He says, when the emperor commands one thing but God another, what do you judge? God's power is the greater, that the government is the lesser. Give to the government your taxes, but render obedience to God. This is because the government has no say or authority over your conscience or over religion, over Christianity. In these matters, it is right to refuse obedience. And so this means that when Caesar says, you cannot have church, we say, no, we will. Because God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And when Caesar says, you cannot preach this or that, then I will say, no, I will. Because God says, preach the word in and out of season. 
And when Caesar says, you're not allowed to sing, then we say, no, we will. God says, enter his presence with thanksgiving, make a joyful noise to him in song. And so not only will we sing, but we'll sing louder and we'll sing all 10 verses. (laughs) And when Caesar says, you're not allowed to have communion, then we say, no, we will. Because God says, drink of it, all of you. And when Caesar says, no, you, you don't understand. It is unsafe. You simply cannot do it. Then we turn to Caesar and say, no, Caesar, you don't understand. Because it is far more unsafe for me to not have communion. It is far more dangerous for me and my children to go without the body and blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of my sins is far more important than my own health or wealth, or success, or body, and life. It is dangerous for me to listen to you, Caesar, instead of Jesus. So Caesar, I've given you what is yours, but now I will give to God what is God's. That is the line between the two kingdoms. Uh, As as I get ready to close, I want to answer one last question, and the question is this. Why does Jesus do it? Why does he draw this line Uh, between Caesar and God. Well, it's because he wants to give you the comfort and eternal consolation that you're in this world, but you're not of it. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Philippians 3 says, the epistle lesson you heard, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Pharisees and the Herodians came to trap Jesus, Jesus defeated it and he responded. And it's as if he said this, to to summarize it, it's as if he said this, look, all of this political stuff, this concern is not my concern. This isn't in fact why I came. Figure it out for yourselves. But as for me, I have a much higher calling than to establish a form of government or political philosophy. I didn't come to legislate or restructure this world. I didn't even come for a, to fight the culture or a culture war or institute a system of morality. That is not what I came to do. I didn't even come to fight against Caesar. I came to die for him. I came to shed my blood for every single nation and bring God's favor equally upon them all. I didn't come to save you from a government. I came to save you from hell. I didn't come to solve the problem of your taxes. I came to solve the problem of your sin. I didn't come to pay what you owe Caesar. I came to pay what you owed God. And I came to do it not with swords or armies or laws, but with wounds in my flesh. I came to render obedience to God that you owed him. And to pour out my life for you and to forgive you. And so here in this church, Our dear Lord doesn't rule us with an iron fist, but with nail-pierced hands. He doesn't demand anything of us, but he gives us all he has. And for this reason, our allegiance to God is far greater than our allegiance to any nation or government. And so, don't worry or be discouraged when you see your own country fall apart as it is even now. In fact, it's bound to. It is only a matter of time. Every flag will fade and unravel. In fact, there will come a day when the United States, our own country, will fall 
and join the long list of nations that have become nothing but dust and ashes. And when that happens, you lift up your head and you remember what Jesus said, that your citizenship is in heaven, that you are part of his kingdom. Christ did not come to build a nation. He says, I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will remain. Every nation will come and go and pass away, but the church and the word of God will remain and endure forever. That means hell will overcome every nation at some point, but never, the gates of hell will never overcome the Lord's church. And therefore, hell will never overcome you. So dear saints, while we're subject to unjust laws and rulers, don't despair. We're here for a very brief amount of time. Our citizenship here is limited and it's short. We're in this land for a little while. But while you have breath, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but then render unto God what is God's. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.